Today is Ash Wednesday, the beginning of the season of Lent, and our lectionary reading brings us perhaps to a place that would surprise you. It doesn't, you might expect after Epiphany, lead us deeper into his ministry, into the Passion, but actually takes us back to before the earthly ministry of Christ began, uh, and before his public ministry began, at the three temptations in the desert. It's there that we meet the, the whole framing of the season of Lent, the 40 days, the temptation in the desert, the fasting, the barrenness of that time, and of course, meeting Satan face to face. This is the first uh, time that we meet Satan in the New Testament. And it's here that we actually begin to realize that we are a part of a cosmic struggle. In fact, we might be tempted to hope for that we maybe are passive observers of this cosmic conflict, or maybe we are just bystanders, but we find out and realize that if we are in Christ, we become uh, active combatants in this cosmic struggle that is out to thwart the will of God in the world. And our, the church fathers uh, were right, actually, when they looked on this text. They, they realized that the temptations of Jesus in this text do not represent the three temptations that Jesus experienced during the 40 days. Uh, our text indicates this. He, he had probably you know, 30 times three temptations during these 40 days. And nor were these three temptations meant to be the temptation that you or I will receive. I've, I, I understand that Simon Stylites was tempted to turn stones into bread, but I've never had that temptation. Uh, Alexander the Great perhaps was tempted to take all the kingdoms of the world, but never has come my way. And so I think we have to look and see, as the church fathers did, that these three temptations are actually categories of temptations that befall all of us. In fact, if you look, if you look at these three, you'll see that every temptation you have ever had or ever will have actually in one way or other falls into one of these three categories. And that's why the synoptics, or at least Matthew and, and Luke, uh, give us this three uh, temptations laid out in this way. I will say a little Wesleyan point before we look at them, because Wesley uh, does lead us in a little different way of thinking about this passage, uh, at least the origin of evil. In the Augustinian tradition, the belief was and is in the Reformed tradition that, that sin represents the absence of the good. Sin has no constitution, in other words. That has a huge theological importance. In fact, it later becomes a problem because how, do, how does something which is nothing get laid upon Jesus? How does Jesus die if sin has no constitution? How do you put that on his back? And Wesley, I think, rightly taught us to look at a different way. And Wesley understood that sin actually is rooted in the miss and the abuse of our wills. And so sin is actually, as he would put it, it is not choosing that which is wholly right to be chosen. And so sin is actually that place where we, uh, as we were, elect the absence of God in our lives. And so by your willful acts, and we all have been down this road, at the very point of your sin, you at that point elect the absence of God, which explains, at the, in one fell swoop, Wesley explains that the origin of sin is in fact Satan, who made a willful choice 
to rebel against the divine majesty, all the way down to our willful choices, and that, in fact, Christ bore our absence from God. That's why we have the dereliction cry at the end of this season, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is at the heart of what Jesus bore through all the times we've elected the absence of God. So in this particular uh, text, of course, this comes after the high of the amazing Trinitarian blessing of the, of the baptism of Jesus. And then we're told he goes into the wilderness. But don't miss what the text actually says. And Mark even does it more so. But it says here that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Now later Christ would teach us, Lord, lead us not into temptation because he had been led into temptation. This was, this was actually a divine moment. In fact, Mark is the one that actually really, if I can use the word, his word, drives it home because Mark actually says in his, the parallel account that Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's the word ekbalo. It's the same word for casting demons out. It's a forceful action that the Spirit leads Jesus into these temptations. Now this happens before... Christ's public ministry. Now that seems itself very important for us, especially those of you who are being called into full-time public ministry. Before you can be uh, approved by God or ordained by the church, you must be proved. You must be proved before you are approved. And the wilderness is that place we are invited into where the Lord tests us. We have to pass this test. We have to go through this period. And Lent is the invitation to again be brought through this period because we need to have that opportunity to, to strip away everything that is not fundamental. That's the advantage of the wilderness. The wilderness takes you away from all distractions and it makes you remember what is most fundamental. And Lent does that. It's Lent's gift to us. It's a means of grace for us that begins with the ashes and ends with the cross. Now, Thomas Friedman, the, the author that wrote those amazing books like The World is Flat and Thank You for Being Late, he, I think, very insightfully put his finger, and this is a secular writer, but he put his finger on the, the heart of this generation, what he calls the digital world that we're all in. He calls it uh, the age of partial attention. In other words, one of the biggest things that you face, we all face in our generation, as much as any generation, is the challenge to be totally focused without any distractions. Uh, if you followed the Olympics recently, you'll know that uh, Chloe Kim, the, the, the Korean-American that won the gold medal in snowboarding, did you hear what she did during her Olympic trial? and she won the gold, she twittered out. She twittered during her event. It's pretty amazing. When they asked her about it, she said, well, what else, what else was I supposed to do? <laughs> you know, it's amazing. You could even win a gold medal and be distracted. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is such a mark of, the, of our generation with you know, Twitter and Facebook and you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. You know, everything that goes on with that is all part of the world that we live in. So Jesus has these three temptations, which we're looking at categories. The first is a temptation to turn stones into bread. 
Now this, of course, uh, we're reminded, of course, that this bread is a good thing. In fact, this is, I think, the temptation at the root of this, that the category is really about the whole nature of the flesh, the temptations of the flesh. Uh, food, drink, sex are all things that God gives us as his gifts. And yet all these things, if put out of balance, out of their place, out of their proper place, when they become the focus of your life, they are destructive and they're sinful. And so this is a place where the, the temptation reminds us, as Jesus says when he replies to Satan, worship the Lord God and serve him only. It's the way of remembering what is primary and what is secondary. And our primary, and hopefully Lent will bring this out again, our primary goal this month, this, this 40 days, is to ask ourselves, what is the will of God for my life? Can you ask that this month? These 40 days, 40 days not counting Sundays to get to Easter. Sunday, by the way, was never a fast day in the church. That's why they don't count uh, Sundays, because Sunday is always a feast day because of what? The resurrection. Even, the resur even, even Lent can't forget where we're headed. But we do have these 40 days, not counting Sundays, between now and Easter, where we actually need to strip away all distractions and ask ourselves, what is primary in our life? And are we sure about God's will for our life? The second temptation is where he takes them and he tempts them and show, by showing all the kingdoms of the world. Now, this is the temptation that for power, for name, and for status. This has a thousand manifestations, and it would be a mistake if you thought that going into the ministry does not uh, approach this problem, because ministry, like every other job, can get caught into trying to make a name for yourself, trying to earn status for yourself, trying to achieve the glory of man, the glory of uh, people's praise. This is a very, very basic category of temptation. It's also, it drives the stake into the heart of the whole, the whole fascination with believing that political power might be a useful tool for establishing the ends of gospel kingdom work. What a great temptation. The whole church-state uh, alliance was based, the whole Christendom model for centuries in our own culture was based on that hope. And it actually says here, this word quite disturbing, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. I can't believe it. It must include the United States. Can you, can you believe it? Satan has authority to give all the kingdoms of the world to Jesus if he would just worship him. This means that every kingdom is, is allied along a very different axis. It's self-serving. It's about power and status. We've seen that in a thousand ways. And Jesus is saying that is not what our trajectory is. That's a very, very, we're, we're in a very different world. And what the, the ends of this is death and shame and ignominy. It is not going to be something that can be established through political power. Well, the third uh, temptation is where Satan finally understands maybe the key here is to start quoting Scripture. You know, the, the Apostles' Creed, 
uh, only uses phrases from Scripture. But the Arians got really uh, wind of this, and the Arians started quoting Scripture at us a lot, uh, twisting it around, and we ended up with Arianism. The Nicene Creed had to finally be very, very specific about things. And it, so Satan really models the way here, doesn't he, about um, the misquotation of Scripture. Psalm 91, 10, and 11 are not about by jumping off of, a, of, of the temple. So this temptation really is all the ways that we try to make God's word say what we want it to say. You see, that's the problem with the whole, we, once you're given the word of God, we read it and find it very disturbing, don't we? And so there's a whole impulse in us to make it say what we really want to hear. And of course, Jesus uh, bids this, you know, the Lord cannot be, don't not turn this into a test. And it actually says that the devil left him for an opportune time. In other words, this cosmic struggle wasn't over yet. This was, this was a preparation for the great struggle that would happen in Gethsemane and beyond. So the Lord has preparation for us now in this season that will pay dividends in your future ministries. I would really encourage you to think deeply about these three temptations and the categories they bring us in. But we all, need, uh, we all need mentors, don't we? We need people we can look to. And I want to give you a mentor for a, a, a spiritual master uh, for this season of Lent, and that is in Catherine of Siena. Now, if you don't know Catherine of Siena, you have to appreciate this amazing person, born in 1347, Get this, the 24th of 25 children. Let's praise God for her mother. <laughs> the 24th child in the family. And when she was seven years old, she had a vision of Christ that was a profound and ongoing experience in her life. She became one of the great mystics of the church. She, by the way, was the first woman ever to be named a doctor of the church. There's only four of them, I believe, uh, and she is the first. And she's, by the way, called a doctor by both the Anglican and the Roman Catholic traditions. I think the only two in that category. She's the first doctor of the church. She's the, also the co-patron of the, of the city of Rome. So this woman who was never educated in, in the normal means, uh, how could she be named a doctor of the church along with Thomas Aquinas and all these amazing people through history? is because of her profound understanding of this passage and the importance of absolute focus on Jesus Christ. She had a clear calling from God into the ministry. But in the, in the 14th century, if you were a woman called into full-time ministry, you only had one option before you. You only had one lane to drive in as a calling from God, and many women joyfully did this, but it was to be a cloistered nun. That was your only option in the 14th century, and many women did that. But Catherine Siena wanted to be a nun in the world. Now, you have to understand what was happening in, the, in, that, in this time. Her lifetime coincides with the very... Uh, a, I should say, uh, not the, the nadir, the, the deepest, darkest point of the Great Pla the, the Black Plague. The, the Black Plague killed between 100 and 200 million people. 
All right, the, this is the one century where the world population went down by 150 million. It didn't, this is one of the few centuries where the world population didn't rise. The epidemiologists have said that they believe that it was caused by a rat-borne organism called the Cocobacillus, and the disease was Yersinia pestis. No one knew that at the time. No one knew it was rat-borne. No one knew why any of it was happening. All they knew was there was death in every family. They were, it, was, it was common for her to experience families with six children, and all six children would die within a week. Can you imagine? And she wanted to go into that world. She wanted to descend into that world as a called nun. And she did it. And she became that in the world. There are three things, just to wrap up, that she, I think, can be a master for us, a guide for us through this month. Number one, she norms. If you, if you read her dialogues between her, herself and God that are published or her letters, either one of those, you'll see that she norms for us the spiritual world. She helps us to see that the world that we're living in is not nearly as real as the spiritual world to which we are attached through Christ. I mean, she, we live, we're so bound to this world. And she, through her amazing mystical ways, taught us to see a different lens through another world. How else can you read this account? Jesus having uh, temptations. Satan comes to him, talks to him. The angels minister to him. This is a whole spiritual world that seems so foreign to us. It wasn't foreign to her. Secondly, she teaches us that the greatest ascent into the presence of God involves the greatest descent into human pain and suffering. There was no woman that could have showed us that at that time unless she had taken the step to be a nun in the world. And she gave her life to ministering to those in the greatest pain. And it was actually in her ministry to people facing death and agony of the plague where she had her visions and her amazing conversations with God. So she learned something about what it means to be called into the world, not just out of it. And Lent should ultimately bring us into the world, shouldn't it? And finally, she lived with a single-minded focus on Jesus Christ. Both today and yesterday's chapel, we, um, or, or last week's chapel, we, we use the liturgy that says, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. It's one of the most famous liturgies in the church. It goes back to 2 Corinthians 13. It appears in almost all Christian liturgies. So naturally, as a nun, she would have said this liturgy a lot, but she said it differently. She would say, name of the Father, and of thee, and of the Holy Spirit. And people said to Catherine, why do you say, and of thee, rather than, and the Son? And she said, because he's right here. Name of the Father, and of thee, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So she, she had that cult, that, that awareness of Christ's presence with her right there where she was, with her hands folded up, rolled up, her sleeves rolled up, her hands dirty in this world. So this text calls us to step away from the distractions of the world, the noise of this culture, which is so loud in our ears. And let's follow Catherine through this season. Let's listen 
so that and be aware of the spiritual world. Let's become more aware of the presence of Jesus. Let's become more aware of the pain of this world to which we are called. In the name of the Father, and of Thee, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.